Uh, you know, I owe you an apology. I am usually there uh, to greet you before we go live, but uh, I had some technical difficulties on my end. I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to get uh, connected. So, um, you know, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I just, no. thankfully, you didn't hang up when, uh, you know, I wasn't there to greet you. So uh, my apologies for that. No worries, Karen, no worries. Um, well, uh, so Adam, it's it's been uh, a long time that I've been uh, waiting to talk to you, and uh, our topic tonight about the um, 13 faces of Venus, faces of the inner feminine. Um, I guess, why don't we start with um, what you mean by that exactly? Uh, what is a Venus phase? And um, I guess tell us more about these 13 phases of Venus. Great. So uh, as a little background, uh, I'm a professional astrologer is one of the things I do. And in that work, I've branched off into my own um, area of strong interest in reconnecting the living sky into modern astrological practice. The sad fact is, is that most astrologers today who are brilliant and very gifted and very caring and intuitive and good people simply haven't been given the training and uh, how to practice astrology from the actual sky, which includes more dynamic considerations than just the the chart shows us, and the chart gives us signs and houses and aspects. Where, whereas when we bring in the sky, we start to get more of the dynamic more of things like speed and brightness and whether a planet is morning star or evening star, we get to experience what I call the somatic dimension of astrology. So, so what you're saying, the, I guess, is you know, you're know you working with more than just the, the paper chart that they pull yes, up on their that, computer. That's right. And that's also where I got my training years ago and have had a wonderful client practice for many years. In recent times, let's say in the last five or so years, I've really emphasized the uh, the need in astrology to, if you will, uh, cross cross the boundary of intellectual analysis and what we call delineation, and get into more of an experiential dimension of astrology. So, um, the the term that we use for this is sky astrology. That is, an astrology of the living sky, a sky that is sentient, a sky that is dynamic, that is alive, that is, in a sense, communicating to us in much more of a feminine, not female, but feminine way, so both men and women have equal access to it. Well, and can so, you do this without a telescope and you know expensive equipment, Adam? Oh, great question, Karen. Yes, you can. What I rely on and my colleagues and my students in Sky Astrology rely on is what, we, what is called naked eye observation. So you can go out and you can look. What, we, what I like to say is, you know, the advent of writing in Western civilization came from ancient Sumeria. But even before those initial cuneiform scripts were written down, we were looking at the sky. So what I like to say is we were looking up as humans before long before we were writing down so looking up is a inherent part of our lost memory as a species really and so i think 
and, and I've seen both in myself and some of my students who are really dedicated, that simply, spe- simply clocking time out underneath the morning sky over the eastern horizon, over the western sky uh, after sunset, really the, our ability to see improves. Hmm. We start to see not only the lights, we start to see qualities of light. We start to begin to discern different colors within the different starlights, and in this case, planetary lights. We start to um, become more sensitized to horizon, horizontal glow, and as we like to say, how dark is dark? And so, but you know, for the purposes of, the, of what the book is about, the, the book is called The Light of Venus. And the, 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 the title for that book is really comes from this, well, I don't think it's a discovery, but for me it was a discovery, uh, this, the, this dimension of the feminine principle, Karen, the dimension of the feminine consciousness, which is solar in nature. Whereas, okay. Whereas we've always been taught for the last 20, 30, 40 years that the feminine is feeling is internal is based in woman and procreation and and sharing and equanimity and harmony there is also a solar dimension to the feminine principle in all creation and i find it for me and in my work i find it in the the cycles of venus so these 13 phases of venus are individual periods of time that begin when venus and the sun are conjunct in astrology or are aligned with each other. And the time between one Venus-Sun alignment and the next one is roughly uh, 19 months or 584 days. So in that time period, Venus goes through various phases that some are visible, most are, some are invisible when Venus is too close to the sun to be seen with naked eye. And so what happens is when you apply this astronomical or this visual observational experience like I was describing, and you apply it to our psychology, you apply it to our emotional body, and like I've done in the book, you apply it to what your greatest contribution is, both women and men, as an embodiment of the feminine principle, all of us. Their greatest contribution to yourself, your family, your loved ones, your friends, your society, even your world at large, I call that your feminine dharma. And each phase of the Venus cycle, and there's 13 of them, represents a different, if you will, species, a different type, a different version of contributing to a better planet, better humanity, through our inner personal, psychological, emotional Venus phase. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I believe so. It's sort of a different approach to all of this and uh, and maybe a little bit different than what I expected we might be talking about. But oh, uh, cool. but that's okay. That's that's okay. Um, so tell me, the 13 phases, um, how long does it take to actually go through all 13? 584 days, one whole Venus cycle. Okay, so 500. So we're talking about almost two years. Yeah, about 19 months. And, and the, the, the familiar shape of the pentagon or the pentacle, one arm of each arm of the pent, each arm of, uh, I should say, each straight line that forms a pentacle 
is a representation of 584 days of the Venus cycle. So if you draw the five-pointed star, that represents five Venus cycles, which represents a Venus star or a pentacle, and that is exactly eight years. Interesting. So this relationship, so this relationship of five cycles composing eight years is embedded in the orbital relationship between Venus circling the sun and Earth circling the sun and our experience of ourselves and Venus as our kind of neighbor, our solar system's neighbor going around the sun. So where are we right now in that in those 13 phases? Yeah, we are in the 8th phase of or the ninth phase of the Venus cycle, which is called remembering and embodiment. This is a beautiful phase of the Venus cycle. It's one of the longest phases. Um, And remembering and embodiment, Karen, if you can imagine this, that it begins when Venus just becomes visible after the sun sets each evening over the western horizon. Just after the sun sets, you can see Venus as a dim light. And then each successive night, each successive week and month, for about five and a half, six months, uh, Venus gets a little bit brighter after each sunset each day. A little bit brighter, a little bit brighter, and a little bit higher in the sky at sunset. A little bit higher in the sky the next night at sunset. So over a period of five to six months, it appears to us like Venus is ascending in the evening sky. In other words, raising in the evening sky, getting mm-hmm. higher and brighter and brighter. And this really speaks to very, very beautifully the the, met, the symbolism of a returned feminine, a, a feminine, a Venus that was previously to this phase too close to the sun to be seen. So what does that actually mean to us in terms of everyday living, what's going on in the planet, how it affects us personally? And this, and if this, the, this 13 phase happens uh, every, I think, 19 months, you said, we will we will be in this particular Venus phase again, um, you know, in, you know, 19 months from now, so sort of, right? Yes, that's, I, that's I mean, right. We're we constantly will. going through the 500 and some art days uh, over and over and over again. Correct, we are, we are. Each cycle, which is composed of 13 phases, has one energy that overlights it. I call this the goddess that overlights each cycle. So currently, we're in a Capricorn cycle of Venus. So that means the energy of, the, of Capricorn femininity, which I'll describe in a moment, is overlighting this whole cycle. Maybe I can describe that briefly, Karen, and then I can talk about this particular phase. This sure. Remembering and embodiment phase. So the Capricorn femininity has to do with the feminine elder, It has to do with all the things that we've come to understand and receive from the Native American wisdom of whatever we do now needs to be considered for seven generations to come. And whenever we're deliberating on an action to take, we need to look at the past seven generations to see and to learn and and try not to make the same mistakes and try to embody some of the wisdom and the successes that have come. So feminine Capricorn has so much to do with a feeling of inner alignment and peace, and even love that comes from knowing deeply in our hearts that we are providing for our families, if we have a family, uh, we are providing if you, even for the world, 
from our most sacred or our most mature parts of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that really um, live from a life of selflessness rather than selfishness. Well, um, that said, it would be wonderful if that were sort of the general consensus across the planet, but that but uh, that energy hasn't really taken hold, I don't think. Do you agree? <laughs> no. Yes, I completely agree with you. There have been there these are, you know, just like all astrology, Karen, and just like all cycles in life, just like in psychology, the various stages of human development, child stages of development, adolescent stages, etc. They all have individual characteristics, but they all last for a long time. And just like something as complex as the human species with a long and somewhat sordid history, we as a species, we, we are slow to learn lessons. And these astrological cycles, when one starts to really look at them, I mean, very acutely, and understand how astrology works, it is remarkable so, uh, how uh, insightful or how explicit the astrological cycles, not just the one I'm speaking of tonight, Venus, but the, all the other ones, how much they speak to various levels of the financial markets, uh, political scene, uh, you, know, you know, geopolitics, um, weather even. Astrology can be used somewhat to predict weather and lots of other things. I, we astrologers, we receive requests for readings all the time about when's the best time to do this, that, and the other thing. And there's a reason for that because astrology really does describe the if you will, the, it, or is a language of uh, how life or how consciousness, how energy uh, changes and evolves over time. So to your point, yes, we're, we're not there yet at all, but we are working on it. And, and so is the idea working. that it will keep going through these phases means that we will have the opportunity to revisit the Capricorn phase again and hopefully by that time Capricorn rolls around again in the Venus phase, then maybe we will have uh, awakened a little bit more. And then the next time it rolls around, maybe there will be more of us still yet more awake. Is that sort of the idea? It's kind of this continuous opportunity to evolve humanity? Yes, it is. And remember, there is no end there is no finish line in evolution, Karen. There is no finish line of consciousness. It's not like we're going to get there and all hold hands around the planet and go, wow, we did it. Because that's, that's not how life consciousness works. It, it works through cycles within cycles and cycles overlapping of cycles. So if I'm a perspective of a third world person living in a tribal village, or if I'm a perspective or I'm at the perspective of the 1%, it's a very different definition of what constitutes success and health and peace in the world. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, so you're, the, 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 the root of what you're describing is absolutely so, but it really depends more, in my opinion anyway, on how we are seeing. And that's really, to me, what's so beautiful. One of the most powerful things about the feminine principle in consciousness, it is massively unfathomably and unrelentingly inclusive. The feminine is the principle itself of inclusivity, of including everything, everything, everything. 
and not excluding anything. That is, including it so much that we start to find an empathy. We start to find uh, a rapport, even with what in the past might have been uh, distasteful or anathema or an enemy. Through, through true devotion to each of our femininities inside of ourselves, women and men, we start to find those parts of ourselves, out, those things outside of us, those start to arise within our own experience. And, and I think that, that's the way that the world is really going to change. That's the where, where the feminine will really begin to shine when we will stop seeing the other as an other. Um, even those that have you know, hurt us, that kind of thing. Right. And when you think about all the you know the uh, the, the polarizing politics and uh, you know yes. the the struggle amongst you know religions and uh, and and all the rest, um, I mean that would be a pretty incredible accomplishment uh, to reach the point where there is no longer other. Um, yes. You know because then we would have the ultimate oneness, wouldn't we? We would. We would have the ultimate oneness without losing and celebrating and living from our individual rea- our individualities. See, oneness is not homogenizing. Oneness right. is, 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 is deep, intimate, <coughs> cellular rapport with difference. So it really calls for tolerance, um, you know, tolerance of diversity. It does. Tolerance of diversity, and the and for me, being a healer, being a counselor in a kind of at the soul level, for many years, tolerance, real tolerance, like the stuff that you can really, the, the real stuff, not the stuff that, uh, not the definition that's, um, we might say, convenient when we're in a good mood, but really cultivating an inner disposition of tolerance. And that's hard. It really, it's hard. It's it starts from owning how I'm the one making enemies. I'm the one separating. I'm the one creating divisions between me, the thing I like, and you or the other or the enemy, the thing that I don't like or don't want or don't believe is good. And that, how I'm holding the other is really the start of authentic tolerance. Yeah, because I think, um, you know, just to take one example, um, you know, I mean, I don't know what your politics are, but when I see these old white Republican men on television trying to tell women what they can or can't do with their bodies or, um, you know, the religious right trying to impose their religion on, you know, on other people or disregarding other people's religion, and I mean, we could go on and on. Um, it's really hard to not, um, you know, uh, you know, get get your hackles raised, you know, because if you sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it feels like if you don't fight back, you're just setting yourself up to be steamrolled, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to be dominated, to be controlled, to have to conform and fit in their little box. Um, so it's really hard, I think, to do what you're what you're talking about, you know. Even when it comes to say the one percent and the ninety nine percent, you know, um, how do you, uh, in a way, not resent that employer who's you know trying to squeeze you for every 
you know, uh, you know, every ounce of blood you have inside you, and he's making 350 times more than you make. Um, you know, it's really hard to get to that place of oneness and not uh, be on different sides of topics or beliefs. It is difficult. It is difficult, Karen, but certainly not impossible. And like I say, the start of that process, albeit difficult one, the start of that process is to, uh, if you will, cultivate and maintain a connection with oneself in the difficulty, in the in the your uh, I forgot the term you used the uh, your skin getting raised when someone's being unfair or someone's trying to tell women what to do with their bodies. You have to stay connected with we have to stay connected with ourselves so that the reaction against doesn't take over our hearts. Right. But because right. I, by staying in by staying in touch with me, then I can have my reaction, but the reaction isn't first. And yeah. that's the key. That and I and actually I think that makes it a little bit easier when I when I commit to staying with what I call my open heart. When I stay with me and don't let my reaction and don't let the outright um, aggrandizement, the outright violation, cause me to leave my heart in order to defend. So yeah, so if you can stay in, and stay in that heart space, even though yes. maybe you feel like you're being attacked, you feel like you're uh, being manipulated, exploited, dominated, whatever, you know, um, you come from... It, 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 but I guess, you know, until the other... Um, realizes that they have to also come from that heart space, um, then it's difficult to sort of have a meeting of the minds, would you say? It is, except if I'm, if, if let's say this is me, if I'm keeping as an agenda, I need to have a meeting of the minds. If that's what I'm striving for, I'm going to be waiting a long time, if not forever because the other person may not at all be interested in having a meeting of the minds. They may not want that at all. So in a so in a way to expect them to want what I want isn't reasonable or realistic. Hmm. So you're saying you have to even detach from uh, in in a sense are you saying you have to detach from beliefs? Uh, detach from your values. I mean, wouldn't that just no. wouldn't that almost be saying no. detach from the idea of making the world a better place? No, it's detached from an agenda that you have to behave like I like I want to behave. That's all it is. It's not trying to make the world a better place. It's not try. It's not divorcing or or um, abnegating, making the world a better place. It's taking responsibility that I'm one person and I'm going to do maximally everything 100% that I can do to make the world a better place. But that does not include trying to force you or get you or, or, or even, if you will, want you, want the other to, to want what I want. Even though on paper it looks totally normal and reasonable for them to want an, an, an equitable, mutually understandable relationship, some people don't are literally are not interested in that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so that's why I always talk about it's an inside job. We really, we not only have to take responsibility 
for what for how I'm feeling in response to what you do to me or for me. I also have to take responsibility in what ways am I perhaps subconsciously wanting you to be more like me so I can feel better. And that's not really fair because everybody, this planet, human species, we're a free will experiment. Everybody has free will. We can do whatever we want. That's yeah, not but in the process, bad. but the process, the irresponsible could uh, ruin it for everybody. Correct. You got that right. And we have. Many of us through thousands of years, many different cultures have ruined it for everyone in that culture or surrounding or extant cultures. Absolutely. Yeah, There's so it's very risky. It's very risky. But but I think change, sustainable, sustain, real sustainable change that works for everyone, no matter the race, your race, your skin color, your gender, your level of consciousness, your level of finance, um, financial position, your caste in society, all of it. The, the, the only thing that's really sustainable I, for me is coming from our hearts, not our heads. And, well, and, and for me, that's really governed by the feminine. And 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 I hear you. You know, I guess I, I'm I'm just not totally convinced it it right. can be successful um, because I'm thinking, you know, the other side. You know, the people who don't have as their agenda to say make the world a better place or protect yes. the environment or uh, you know do all of these things that I guess we would say are reasonable things. Um, it's mm-hmm. almost as if um, I don't know. It feel I don't. It feels like surrender. I guess in a way, surrendering to forces that you know will run amok and just really don't give a shit. And uh, you know, it. It. I don't. Does that make it? I don't know if I'm explaining. Yes. Okay. I, I really am. I'm very, very um, aware and attuned to the concept and the vibration that you're sharing here. It, it's very much a risk. But I think in the end, in our own deepest connection with our own soul, which I believe we find in our hearts, um, we really want, at, at core, we really want to give our most powerful, successful, uh, effective gifts in the world. And if that gift for me is writing a book, but that gift for you is is activism out in the world, or that gift for Mary Jane over there is raising a really wonderful family and putting her whole heart and mind and soul into it, then we're all contributing what I call our dharma appropriately. It, I, it, I think for me, and this might be my own limitation or this might be my own, you know, just cosmology here, but... I don't think, I'm not of the opinion that one person or a few people can generate a wave to cause massive change to bring about more light and love on the planet. I think it takes the masses to do that. Well, I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard of like the Morphic Fields and the 100th Monkey, and it only takes, I think, what, 10%. Um, you know, to to accomplish that paradigm shift, and you know, and and I think that's what so many of us have been working toward and holding out hope for. Yeah, 
Well, yes, yes. But Karen, your your point is well taken. I, you know, these thirteen, basic, you know, I'm, uh, these thirteen phases of Venus really describe the way our femininity, men and women, our our inner sacred feminine, is most wired to contribute something powerful, beautiful, and and meaningful to the world. So that's why I call the Venus phase our feminine dharma. And for me, I get overwhelmed when I try to think about how much more I could be doing, because I do a lot. But I try to stay right in my own uh, limits, my own capacity. Because I've learned about myself. If I go beyond that, if I start to let my moral outrage take hold of me, now I'm not contributing anything other than outrage. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because it is sort of a conundrum. You know, you don't want to become the very thing you are fighting against, you know. Correct. and 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 sometimes it gets really difficult uh, yeah. to continue to be the feminine, be the one that's, you know, about caring and sharing and love when, you know, people are coming at you with the worst of intentions. And, you know, yes. they they see you coming at them with caring and sharing and love like you're a fool and you're weak, you know. Right. And, and uh, you know, when they just, uh, you know, take advantage of that. So, I, yeah, I, would ha- I have a slightly different perspective on that. If people are coming at, at me from a from a taking standpoint and I get scared and I, and I, and I, you know, react, but I, but I'm coming at them from caring and sharing and love when they're looking at me as a fool, almost always in my experience, that is their version of being very, very frightened. So caring and sharing and love if it's true in my heart, and that's how I'm coming to coming at you, a potential aggressor, that aggressor will become afraid, but it's unconscious. It's repressed fear. And so how they respond to that fear, how they react to it internally is they get aggressive. They become mm-hmm. aggressive. They, mm-hmm. call, they demean. They, they call me a fool. You've you got your head in the clouds or whatever. But that's actually their reaction. It has no fundamental power. It only has aggression. It doesn't have assertiveness. It only has reaction. It doesn't have response. It, there's no intelligence there. It's just a set of historic limbic system responses. Whereas if the person or the aggressor comes at me and I cower in fear, it's the same thing I'm doing, just in the opposite direction inside of me. Rather than getting aggressive as my reaction, I'm becoming a victim as my reaction and cowering right. and getting kind of deer in the headlights. So it's really about overcoming our reactive patterns no matter what they are for each of us. I see. Yeah, and, I see what I see you know, what you're saying. Phew, yeah. we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> oh, you got that right, Karen. Me I, and you both. I mean, just to get somebody to understand, <laughs> just to get somebody to understand this too, you know. Yes. yes. Um, it's a paradigm shifting thing to to, yeah. you know, to to expand one's definition of reaction. It will really change you. To even expand your definition of what love is. Did you know, Karen, that that if um, let's say a dear a dear person in my life, whoever whomever it may be, dies suddenly, and I go to the funeral and I'm crying, 
I'm sobbing, I'm weeping for the loss of my beloved friend or family member or whomever it is. Okay, that grief that I'm feeling at the root, the center of the grief, deeper than the emotional experience I'm having of it, at the center of that grief is love. Well, that makes sense. Right. When I'm afraid, I'm out, I'm out, I'm walking down the wrong side of the street at the wrong part of town because I'm new to town and I don't know, and I'm afraid for my safety, at the root of my fear, deeper than the emotion of fear, at the root of my fear, there's love. love well, wouldn't it. wouldn't it be love of yourself, you know, sort of a, a, a peripheral uh, self-preservation? Oh, yes, more like a, like a, like a nervous system, self-preservation, fight, freeze, or flight. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, could also be, I was speaking more of like capital L love, like the love that is the center of the whole universe, the love Ah, that is the stuff of the whole universe. And likewise, this is really surprising to me years ago when I discovered this, is that when I'm very angry about whatever, whether I'm overreacting and yelling and screaming or I'm holding it in or whatever I'm doing with it, at the root, at the root, at the root of that love, uh, of that anger, is love. So that means I've always got a choice to react in grief, to react in fear, to react in anger, or to feel grief, to feel fear, and to fear, feel anger. When I'm feeling, without the reaction, love is first. I see what you're saying. Love because is, it, it's, it, it's what's at the source of, of everything. Of everything, yes. So go, going back to your point... It's a difficult thing. Yes, it is a difficult thing. But why is it difficult? Because all of us, no matter, in my experience, no matter what we tell ourselves in our heads, no matter what our personality profiles are, we are all, um, as a species, human species, in other words, the older parts of our brain are very, very, very old. The newer parts of our brain are relatively new. They're younger, if you will. So what that says is, all of our all of the human population would much rather go to what's familiar even if it causes painful emotions mm-hmm. than than go to what's not known not familiar not, which could be love which could be happiness right and that's kind of a sad statement to make at first when i when we hear it but later as we contemplate it and we take it in it starts to go oh I then have a choice how I want to respond or react to this next experience. It's totally in my hands. And the the good news in all this is there is no um, referee, there is no scorekeeper waiting for us at the end of our life going, well, you didn't do so good here, but you did really good here, so we're going to give you a C+. (laughs) The whole thing thing is our choice. So, uh, well... Just by virtue of the fact that you said that, what what is your um, what's your cosmology when it comes to what happens to us after we die? Um, is it yes. is it just you know uh, reincarnation or what? Oh, well, I think we go through a life review usually, not always, but usually we go through a life review. We kind of review things. Now, when I'm saying we. I'm not talking about the we that kind of wakes up in the morning from a dream 
and goes, okay, now i got to go to work, and I have to do this and do this. Oh, and next month I'm going to go on vacation. You know, that's not the me I'm talking about when I talk about I'm going, uh, I go through a life review. It's more like at what I call the soul level. Okay. So I review. So I, I, I review stuff, and then I decide what do I want to do next. But the, but the, de, the deciding, number one, and the one who is deciding, number two, is all happening in perfect synchrony with the entire universe. So it's no longer um, like, oh, you know, little Adam, wherever I'm living, wanting to go on a vacation to a different country. Most of the population on the planet doesn't care where I'm going on vacation. But in this life review thing, the whole universe cares about what I'm next going to do. Because what I'm next going to do is an intimate, personal, intricate part of the universe. I see. So, yeah, so it's, it's, function, it's functioning on a totally different level. Yeah. I mean, it's, it it's functioning as part of the whole rather than, you know, you, Adam, just living your life as uh, Adam Gainsbourg this time around. Correct, correct. So after the review... I tend to think that if if after the review we want to return and take on a new project, then we will eventually reincarnate. Sometimes on the same planet, sometimes on a different planet, sometimes in a different what might call dimensional reality. So the possibilities of incarnational experience are much, much more than our physical universe, in my opinion. So um, so that's kind of what I see. And then eventually, you know, there is a shift in that soul trajectory, eventually. This might take up um, 100 years of linear time. This might take up a million years of linear time. In that space, it doesn't much matter how much linear time is taking place because it really is about all the individual parts of God is God, mm-hmm. discovering and experiencing themselves as God is God. And I think if I could like, be as ridiculous sounding as to say, if there's a point to all of it, it's for all of us to wake up, actualize that we are that. Right here, right yeah. now, have never been anything but that. Well, I mean, I think we say that, you know, we're a spark of the divine or, you know, we're part of the divine, but I don't think we really must believe it because I think if we really <laughs> believe agree it, with we, you. <laughs> we, would, we would live our lives so totally different, don't you think, in how we lived and how I we treated each other because that, that person across the street who... I don't know, maybe just rolled over your cat and you want to go kill them. Well, you know, they're part, they're a spark of the divine too. And you, you know, you sort of have an obligation um, or or the natural uh, inclination to love them because, you know, they are part of the divine alongside you. Couldn't have said it Am, am I getting That's this beautiful. or no? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We We say a lot of things. We say a lot more in our heads than we say with our mouths, Karen. And most of it, a gross majority of it, we actually don't believe. When push comes to shove, most people revert to a more primitive part of themselves. Yeah. For example, yeah. 
if I, if you're if, if I'm being threatened for my life, my adrenaline kicks in, my neurochemistry changes, and now I'm in survival mode. Right. Where's compassion in that state? It's out right. the window. It's not it, it's not even there. So the stuff we tell ourselves is not almost never what we're living. That, right. In fact, the experience of being with an enlightened person, a saint, a guru, uh, an enlightened person, is the experience of being with someone for whom what they're telling themselves and how they're living is the same. Wait, say that one more time. Yeah, the experience of being around, being in the physical presence of someone who is, let's say, more evolved consciousness, mm-hmm. generally is what what that person is telling themselves intellectually, spiritually, intuitively, and how they're living is the same. That alignment, that oneness within them, that's mm-hmm. what creates the good feelings. That's what creates, I mean, think about how long humans have been on the planet, at least in the in the you know the normal archaeological anthropological view, I personally believe we've been on the planet for over five hundred thousand years in different forms and variations in different uh, gener- ages. But in our most recent time, it's been maybe about ten thousand, twenty, thirty thousand years. Okay, so we humans, we have come to develop our minds, the things inside our cranium, so much that we've come to believe that what's in our heads is who we actually are. If I can think it, it must be so. Right. And I think I think we're coming to find out that that's not so. The the truth is what I find from my uh life and my work with many many people uh is what I'm believing in my heart, if you will, what I'm holding in my heart is where I'm actually living. Not what hmm. I'm telling me in my head. Or, or you know, maybe there's an sometime there's an overlap between the two, you know. Um, you know, or, or maybe the heart hopefully informs what's going on in the head. Um, yes. But, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, I find in our own community, you know, I mean, and I'll say this because this is just a hot topic at the front of my brain, you know, um, within goddess spirituality, you know, w- women in particular, they are, you know, have been very keen on uh, being marginalized, you know, being exploited, being, you know, told they're, you know, put in second-class citizen status. Um, so right. they're keen on <clears throat> not letting that discrimination uh, be something they have to continue to live with. But yet, you know, one of the things that's making me a little crazy is while they don't want to be discriminated against, sometimes they will still discriminate and it doesn't seem to click. So if we really believe the things we said, would that happen? And I think the answer is no, but we're not walking our talk, you know, some of us. Agreed. And, and, and exa- I, that's a great point, Karen. And for me, the, the really interesting point is why? Why aren't we walking our talk even after thousands of years of patriarch of this version of patriarchy? Why are we still not walking our talk? And I think the answer is simple, and it may sound almost simplistic, but if you sit with it and really take it in, I think it really explains a lot. We're not walking our talk because we don't want to yet. We want to discriminate we, and be discriminated against. Now, that doesn't make any sense in our normal personality self-images, 
but the only reason I will allow something to happen is if I give a permission for it. If I don't give permission for it, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to stop that behavior. Well, um, you know, well, I, I don't know. I think maybe I have a different answer. Um, right. You know, it, it, you know, maybe it's not that we just don't want to, um, or maybe it's all connected. But I think sometimes it, it's it's fear, or maybe um, you know, in the case of these women, for instance, you know, they have, um, you know, and in, in, in the topic was you know discriminating against men, you know, or discriminating against transgenders. You know, they won't let them in the club, so to speak. It, it, but it's because, you know, being wow. in that select little club makes them feel special, makes them feel superior maybe even. So they don't yes. want to give that up in order right. to be inclusive. That's exactly right. Great. That's a much more clear example. That's just what I'm saying. Just in the case of these women, uh, of these women they don't want to be equal. They, want, they have a little part of them or a large part of them that wants to feel superior just like you said. Mm-hmm. So that's why they will discriminate against to give themselves the feeling of, hey, I'm better than you. Yeah. I'm, super- I'm superior. That's what I meant. I won't give up superiority over, uh, for, equi- for equalness, for equality, if I'm not ready to or I simply don't want to. I like yeah, the I feeling of being superior. Yeah. 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 So I think I just agreed with you. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. 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 Yeah. Because at first I thought I, I, my idea, you know, I had a different idea about it. But then as, as I, you know, we talked through it, I realized, yeah, I, I do, I do agree with you there. But, but sometimes though, I think, you know, people do things, do ugly, ugly things out of fear. You know, um, yes. and it may boil down to, well, they just don't want to, but maybe they don't want to because they're afraid. You know, uh, but Agreed. but it's, but the the fear is so deep in there that they might not even know that it's fear. Yes, that's correct. They may not know it's fear. They might kick into anger to cover over the fear, or let's mm-hmm. say, let's say they do horrific things out of anger. And so their their outward reaction is anger, and yet the that outward anger is actually covering over a deep sorrow or grief. So in my experience as a clinician. The outer form of our reaction, how we attack or defend ourselves outwardly, is usually not the emotion at the cause of our suffering. Yeah. There's usually another layer underneath it. So, uh, so Adam, you know, we've been, t- you know, really talking in these, you know, theoretical, hypothetical, I, I think, <laughs> um, level. I mean, but but how? I guess what I'm saying is. The phase, the Venus phase that we're in, can we point yeah. to things that are happening in the headlines and see it playing itself out? I mean, to sort of, I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, get to see verification of this or validation of this. Yes. Okay. So let me describe what the phase that we're in now. We're in the phase of remembering and embodiment, Karen. And this phase, it's called remembering and embodiment phase. And what this is is this is a time. Remember, remember the image. Venus is getting brighter and higher in the sky with each successive sun, sunset. Venus is getting brighter and brighter. in the. She's becoming a beautiful, bright, brilliant star in our evening skies before eventually setting an hour or two or three later. So that image, that experience, night after night, week after week, that is, a, if you will, a visual metaphor 
for remembering our own light and give it and having a lot of trust and faith to have our own light shine in its own time we just have to keep our feet on the ground and keep doing what it we feel and know in our guts is right for us to do so an example of that in the headlines would be the announcement of Hillary Clinton for you know the presidential nominee for the uh, um, the the democratic ticket so and all of the attack that she's receiving from the republicans okay this is a perfect if she didn't want to run she would not run she's running because she wants to run it sounds so like childish but it's it's such a powerful thing she's running because she wants to run and for that she's going to receive a lot of attack she's going to be looked at very 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 closely but as she's doing that, she really represents a different kind of candidate. She's a woman. It's a f- and, and with her background now as Secretary of State under the first term of Obama, she has a lot of, and with her, you know, her, her husband in the, his two terms, she has a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience under her belt. So I, I see that's one example of the, this light of Venus rising higher and higher in the sky. She's moving to what? I don't know. Nobody can predict what's going to happen. I mean, we can predict, but nobody can know for certain what's going to happen. So that's one example. Um, You know, another example on the other side of it, and this might be kind of difficult, but like the insanity, this is my completely, utterly biased opinion, the insanity of ISIL, uh, the fanatical terrorist group. Mm Mm-hmm. If you will, they represent like a re- a regression back to a time what hundreds of years ago, when if anyone was avail uh, anyone was um, uh, could be used as an as a scapegoat for their religious cause, and that's a way. I mean, if we if we look at the light of Venus rising and rising to mean this kind of inspirational spark of truth and beauty in their case, because it's um, Islamic based, you know, um, Allah in in their one form of it, not the majority of the Islam religion, of course, but their one rather skewed version of it. We can say that this light of Venus, as it's rising, they're getting more radical. They're getting more extreme, even more so. Um, so, so I it's think affecting them. It, it's affecting Hillary Clinton different than it's affecting ISIL, but they're still affected by the cosmic force. Is that the idea? That is the idea, and that's exactly Karen. You said you said as much in one of your comments earlier in our discussion, but that's really the root of it. This Venus phase is basically light of what we feel Venus to be true, to be the truth, rising in the sky, becoming. Demonstrated. In other words, there is not one person on the planet today that if they went outside after sunset and they looked up over the western horizon, they would not see Venus. In other words, Venus is available to everyone, just like all the planets are. In this case, because Venus is our closest neighbor, and when she gets bright, man, she, she's the brightest thing in the sky. It's really this, like the, the ancient Mayan culture... Uh, the Hawaiian, the the Polynesian people, the African, the Chinese, many, many ancient cultures deified Venus. In fact, the Mayan culture, one half of Venus's cycle, not this half that we're in now, but the prior half, 
the Mayans called this half of the Venus cycle the god of war. Venus wasn't seen as a feminine image. Venus was seen as a masculine image. But then we, when Venus reappeared in the evening sky, like she is now, she was a, she was a, a feminine goddess of peace. So they showed, always showed both sides of Venus. Um, and so I think today things are so askew. You know, Karen, like our obsession with technology, our obsession with media, we're so dissociated from our hearts. Venus can become an image and an inspiration for anything a person can concoct. It's kind of like crazy times. Yeah, so it's, you know, so it's almost as if uh, it, it's like riding that energy, and your motivation can be, you know, crazy whack job shit, or your motivation yeah. can be for the highest good, and both can equally ride the energy wave um, to manifest what they are, you know, what they believe or what they're trying to accomplish, because the yeah. energy doesn't discern between good and bad. Yes, exactly. The energy doesn't discern between good and bad. Man, if people could remember that, that energy doesn't discern between who, between good and bad. Who, so where does good and bad come from? Choice. Yeah. Inside the human. That's what determines it. Very interesting. Very interesting. And you know, and and I've you know, and I can't say I've never heard this before, but we forget. You know, we forget. You know, we 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 fall into these ideas of, um, you know, you know, we we'll, we forget that it's just energy too. You know, and it and it doesn't. Uh, it, and it doesn't make judgment. It doesn't choose sides. I mean, it's like you know, both teams are praying to God to win the football game, and they're sure God's going to answer both their prayers. Almost, you know. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Very. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. So, Adam, I you know, I I feel like I I have um, been getting you to. Uh, you know, to dig really deep here, um, you know. But you know, before I let you go, because I know we've we've you know talked for almost an hour already. Besides what we've already said, you know, what what are the most important points we need to know about this? Um, you know, aside from that, we always have to be coming from the heart. You know, because that, you know, I, I guess you'd say that will be the thing that maybe can save humanity. Yes, beautiful. I think the number one thing, there's maybe two really important things um, that everybody can do and not only start with, but take with them for years. And I live really by this. The first thing is be really true to yourself. If you're reacting, own it. If you did a really wonderful thing, own it and feel great about yourself. If you did not such a good thing, own it and feel what that feels like. That's the first thing. Don't leave anything undone, unfelt. If you're embarrassed about something, step into it and own it. Say you're sorry. Write it on a big board. You know, I killed an ant yesterday, even though I, for the last 20 years I've committed to nonviolence. You know, whatever it is, it's just a, a simple example. The second thing is when I'm interacting with others, in any kind of other person in my life, an intimate partner, a business partner, a friend, someone at the grocery store, someone I'm driving next to, I don't, you know, my car's next to their car, I never know them. You know, whenever all my interactions with other people apply step one, 
to those interactions in real time. Own what we're feeling. Be where we are. Don't be in our heads or our, even our spiritualities if it's going to take the place of our hearts right in the moment. Because so what you're you saying, know, don't be afraid of the emotion. You know, don't be afraid of the grief. Don't be afraid of the fear. Don't be afraid of the joy. Don't be afraid of the love, whatever it is. Exactly. Don't be afraid. It, that's beautifully put. Don't be afraid of what I'm feeling, even when those feelings get super strong. Because I think what's going to happen over time, Karen, especially up to 2017 and then afterwards, people who have any kind of inner wiring for emotional experience, some people don't. They're not really wired for it. But, some, but the people who do, those, these feelings are going to get more intense. And then we're going to really ha- be making choices moment by moment, day by day. Am I choosing to feel, like you say, don't be afraid of the fear, just feel it? Or am I choosing to run away from the fear or the, the emotion or this joy or the compassion or what, what, whatever is rising? So, the, so again, to review, the first thing is really own wherever I am moment by moment, and it changes. And the next thing is when I'm with others, don't try to convince and convert them anything. Be where I am. And, and take responsibility for how I'm responding or reacting to what my environment, other people, are giving me. And, and let them be in, in their space, too, whatever that is. Whatever that is. And if it's too difficult for me to hold my space, like if I'm trying to be peaceful and someone else is just being a loudmouth jerk, as an act of love to myself, I might leave. Mm-hmm. Because because it's more important to me, I'm, I'm just making this up, it might be more important to me to keep my space, to keep my relationship with my heart, than it is to stay there and try to listen and deal with this person who doesn't really, who's being very, very, very inconsiderate. Yeah, you don't want to be I'd in the rather, toxic energy. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I want to keep myself. Well, and you know, you're making me think something here, and I don't know whether this is related to all of this, but um, as you're saying we should all uh, be in the moment and allow ourselves to feel whatever it is that comes up. Um, It makes me think about how women today, um, you know, you think about the idea, okay, women are being told to lean in. They're being told to lead, take on the mantle of leadership. You know, that means uh, they have to maybe you know, for lack of better labels, because I realize these are just labels, you know, they have to embrace more of their masculine. Likewise, men, um, you know, they have always been told, you know, caring, sharing, compassion, all of those things were weak. So they've been told to reject those things. But but, but I think men are being called upon to uh, embrace more of that. You know, they're, they're, they're feminine as, as women try to embrace their masculine. Does that have anything to do with any of this, or is that just, uh, you know, just sort of a foregone conclusion? Hmm, that's interesting. I have a kind of a weird, not a weird, but just a different and alternative view of this. I don't see a lot of difference because I've been working with the feminine principle in my writing and my healing work with both women and men. I mean, most of my clients are women um, in groups and in sessions in this many areas my view of it is that the feminine is equally as available and accessible in women and men if i'm a person who simply because i was raised this way to think that gratitude 
and kindness and crying is soft and weak. If let's say I'm a man, I'm, I'm taught to, to believe that. Then I'm going to have a kind of a difficult job to get out of that and kind of find a different way to be, find a different relationship with that, if I even want one at all. So I tend to see how I view, or if I'm, if I'm understanding you right, Karen, my opinion about my emotions and what, like, what category they fall into to be not as important, not as, uh, as supportive of authentic healing as having my feelings. Having my feelings brings me into the present moment. If I have a bunch of opinions about what I'm feeling, what you're feeling, what's right for me, what's not right for me, those opinions are actually sourced from my past. They're like a filter, like a little piece of gauze paper that gets put mm-hmm. in the filter. So as my as my moment is arising, that gauze paper is filtering. So now I'm so here comes authentic grief, let's say authentic sorrow, and yet I was raised in the kind of Marlboro Man mode, and now I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deal with that. Just right. Shove that away. Right. But where did where did that Marlboro man persona come from? It came from history. It didn't come from right now. Yeah. Right now is pure. All it is is grief. Yeah. So I tend to see the challenge in that regard equally for both men and women. Okay. Okay. Um it really interesting stuff, Adam. I, I, I like where you're going with this and uh I, I guess I can say I assume Inspire to always come from my heart, but you know it's very difficult. It's uh, it's not an easy thing to do, you know, especially when you feel like you're being attacked and um, or you feel like you have to, um, I don't know, de- you know, make headway and defend your position, you know, and not be steamrolled, you know. Um, but I, I hear I you. I you know that very well. Yeah, I understand that very well, Karen. Yeah, yeah. So the only other thing I would say, Karen, is if people are interested in all of the 13 phases that are written in English, not for astrology people, just actual people, yeah. the book is called The Light of Venus. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on my site. You can get it on probably people in Europe. It's, it's, it's on Amazon, UK, and in Germany and stuff. But it really, I've gotten some great feedback, um, and it really has helped people understand, you know, okay, yeah, now that now I'm getting in touch with my inner sacred feminine. What do I do with it? How can I bring her, both for men and women, how can I bring her out to contribute something meaningful to the world? Because in some ways, my sacred feminine is both an aspect of me and also a better version of me than maybe my, in my mm-hmm. daily normal life. Do you find how that um, you get pushback from, from men about this, Adam? The, the, men that I, or the, the men that I've heard from, and the men that I teach as students as astrologers or the men that I counsel in my counseling practice, no, they love it. For men, of course, the leading edge is finding their sacred masculine. And then the feminine comes in. But what I found a lot, Karen, and this initially surprised me, but now I totally uh, um, get it. For a lot of men, maybe not all, but for a lot of men, it is easier to be in their feminine than it is to be in their masculine. Just like for a lot of women, because we were raised in a patriarchal society, a lot of women, or for a lot of women, it is easier for them to lead, if you will, with their masculine side. So then finding 
work like yours, goddess circles, priestess circles, doing the work of recovering and re-embodying and re-actualizing their femininity, whatever it is for them, because every woman's feminine, every man's feminine is utterly unique, um, is, is, a, is, a life, is a lifelong work. So sometimes humans kind of break the mold, we, we, or we, we surprise ourselves, I should say. You know, so for, for those men for whom the feminine is easier, feelings, emotions, soft. You know, there used to, years ago there used to be like a whole joke. I think there was a video on YouTube about the soft, the, the soft new age guy mm-hmm. and how women would get pissed off at him because he was all about feelings. He was all mushy. There was no <laughs> kind of solidity in his masculinity, and it was kind of unattractive to women. So what did he have? He had a bunch of women friends, and he yeah. didn't have any women, women intimate partners. Right. And the same thing for, you know, you can just reverse it. And for women, there's a lot of women who are much more comfortable being friends with guys than friends with women. I mean, I've, yeah. I've had many, I've had a number of women clients who have said as much and said, you know, and I asked them why. And they said, because when I'm with women, all they want to do is talk. I remember this one woman, I remember specifically, she has fire red hair and she's a corporate uh, executive or, or like senior VP or something. And she was like, you know, women just bore me. I, I like men. I like the competition. I like the, like, so, but that was her form of femininity. Right, right. So her, so her work was to really find the soft and learn to trust herself in that softness, which doesn't mean she becomes a wimp and a pushover, but the softness in terms of feelings, the softness well, in terms of learning how to be receptive. And, and, and I can see that you're, you know, there's a lot of latitude there. Um, for the masculine <laughs> yes. and, and for the feminine. Very, very, very cool, Adam. Well, um, yeah, thank you. And, well, and I want to make sure you mention your um, your website too, uh, soulsignastrology.com. Yeah, it's it, it, uh, even easier than that is soulsign, S-O-U-L-S-I-G-N.com. And on there you can find the books. I have a bunch of free articles. There's a couple um, audio downloads, one of which um, I thought might be particularly interesting to your audience is Awakening the Solar Feminine. And that was an audio I recorded with a bunch of people live at the time of the Venus transit when Venus crossed the face of the sun back in 2012. It's still very poignant today. So I think that's okay. a free download. Yeah. Well, Adam, thank you. And And I guess the final thing I'd like to ask you, I think you sort of alluded to this at the beginning of our talk, you know, you said that, I, I think you said, and if I misunderstood, please just correct me, that's okay. Um, I think you sure. said, you know, people, uh, you know, come to you and, and you know, sort of ask you, uh, you know, uh, when you should do things or how things are going to go. Um, I know you said no one can predict um, what's ahead, but, um, you know, based on the work that you've done, I mean, what do you what do you see for the you know, for the you know the next five years, the next ten years. I mean, do you have any sense of you know this idea of the rise of the feminine? Do you do we think things are going to get better, or are they going to get worse before they get better? Do I, I mean, uh, do you have an opinion on if you know Hillary's going to win the presidency? I mean, have you done her chart or anything like that? <laughs> Great question. Um, okay, so in no, in no specific order, Karen. Um, I'm of the opinion, and I haven't done all the astrology on it. I've looked, but please don't take me to mean that I've done the full analysis. In my opinion, uh, I, I do think Hillary has a very strong chance in 2018. Uh, 16. 16. Yep, in 16. Okay, so that's that. 
what do I see coming up? I think, okay, as the feminine is rising, and to me, the feminine rising really means the feminine rising in each of our bodies. What's going to happen is the powers that be that have been entrenched for a very long time, longer than any of us have been, I mean, for thousands of years, it's going, it's not going to go out without a fight. So I do feel like things are going to get more chaotic, Mm -hmm. more unpredictable, and more, um, I do see an increase, even more an increase in weather unpredictability. Um, One thing that I found for me, and I haven't checked with colleagues about this just for me, is I see that if women, not really men, I don't know why, this is this is more of like of an intuition, Karen. But if women find it in their hearts and in their dharma to take leadership roles, I think that's the way the world will start to change in the most efficient manner that we can from this point forward. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. You know, but All I do right. think it's going to get kind of more intense before it gets better systemically. I agree. I agree, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, that just makes sense to me. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your time tonight and uh, for your patience with me, um, understanding, no. uh, you know, these principles. Very interesting stuff. And uh, I, I, I hope my listeners uh, go to your website and avail themselves of uh, everything there. And if you would, would you give the title of your book again? Yeah, it's called The Light of Venus, Embracing Your Deeper Feminine, Empowering Our Shared Future. Okay. Well, thank you, Adam. And I appreciate you being on the show tonight. Best of luck with your work, and uh, keep in touch. Thank you very much, Karen. It was a pleasure. Okay. Good night. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Very insightful stuff. Uh, Felt like that was uh, much wisdom uh, that Adam uh, shared with us. But it's that time. So you know it's that time to hear about the bees buzzing in my bonnet. Well, I mentioned to you um, at the top of the show that I wanted to share something from one of my uh, listeners, uh, you know, she's a fan and a friend and uh, a reader of my books, and uh, she goes by the name, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, I hope she'll forgive me if I don't have it quite right, Liv Nam Kwar, uh, and uh, she wanted to share, first of all, this hashtag that's come out, it's hashtag I have experienced, uh, maybe you've seen it, I'm not uh, on Twitter, uh, you know, real often I'll post things, but I'm not one of these folks who follow these sorts of trends. Anyway, she said um, about this hashtag I have experienced, uh, she said a Norwegian woman wrote an article and explained how she was told to just deal with it when men whistled at her, called her a slut when she didn't react to their whistling, and even fondled her on public transportation. Just as men went uh, to counterattack, uh, a feminist magazine um, launched this hashtag, I have experienced, on, twi- on Twitter, and it took off. And she gave an example of, of two tweets. 
Uh, I have experienced uh, one of the tweets on it said, uh, um, one of the people posted, to be asked to strip at a work-related party was something that they experienced. Another wrote, I have experienced that adult and old men have pinched my butt and stroked my breasts on the bus, and I'm only 16. Well, those were just two of the many thousands of tweets uh, that have been shared by women telling their experiences. And um, uh, Livnam says that she sees a pattern from what Rianne Eisler wrote in The Chalice and the Blade. Um, and Rianne wrote, when women stand up and try to make a change, well, the reaction from men is to attack and try to bring them down. So the hashtag, uh, it, it hasn't been around that long, but in the first 48 hours, um, you know, just as Rianne described, men quickly became offensive, saying stuff like, oh, come on, you know you like it when we whistle after you, um, and stuff like that, you know, or saying, oh, so what? Uh, now we're not allowed to say anything to women anymore because we're offending them. So, you know, it just you know, kind of went on like that, you know, not really understanding the, the point that women made that uh, they don't like to endure this kind of stuff. So um, so my listener, she said I commented uh, to one such article, and, uh, and, and her two cents were that she thought more people should consider the fact that we're all someone's children, that the women you whistled at is someone's daughter. What if that woman were your daughter? What if uh, your daughter shared how an older man, uh, a man older than her father, had been grinding uh, up against her on a public transportation? Would you tell your daughter to just deal with it, or would you react? You know, we're all someone's sons or someone's daughters, and people should consider that a bit more. And I agree with my listener, uh, Liv Nam, and I appreciate her bringing that to the fore. You know, when we put it in the personal perspective, I think it's easier to come, I guess as Adam would say, um, it's easier to come from a place of the heart. You know, it's when we depersonalize things that, uh, uh, you know, it's harder to uh, come from a place of empathy or compassion. And uh, she also shared... um, some other information here that I thought uh, was interesting. It's uh, She titled it Brainwashed, and uh, she was sort of just thinking out loud about the idea of being brainwashed. And she goes on to say, uh, the definition of brainwashed is that someone has manipulated a human being mentally and have indoctrinated other opinions. When most of us hear the word, we instantly think of religion, uh, like a human being who is a member of a secretive religious group or cult and uh, maybe who lives and breathes for their beliefs and the beliefs of the group. But are religious people the only ones who are brainwashed? No, I don't think so. Um, And she brings up fairy tales, for instance. Uh, And I think these, you know, she's sort of talking about stereotypes, but it's, uh, it's worth talking about here. She says... For instance, with fairy tales or bedtime stories that we tell our children, usually we see the adorable, beautiful princess had blonde hair and blue eyes and the evil witch had dark hair and dark dark eyes. Um, yeah, I think so, although I was thinking about 
Snow White. I think she was good, and she had dark hair. But it does uh, make me think about queens uh, or women with power, how uh, in fairy tales sometimes or just out there in culture uh, today in patriarchy, you know, the women with power are often... Uh, demonized. We see them as evil. There's something to be feared. Now, that's my two cents. I threw that in. But, um, you know, going back to the brainwashed idea, uh, she talks about how autism is another subject that people are brainwashed on and um, that how society is brainwashed to believe that more boys than girls get autism and and you know that's not in fact true or <clears throat> or she talks about food for instance uh food is important and you know that's something we can agree on but what happens if we encounter someone who by their free will stays clear of certain type foods for example a vegan who doesn't eat or use uh anything that comes from an animal well a lot of people react with fearful stares and high pitched exclamations and say stuff like, oh, but how do you get your nutrition? Don't you eat anything? Everybody knows it's only in fish you find omega-3. Everybody knows it's only in cow's milk you find calcium, and so on and so on. This everybody knows idea, those are the key words. Um, You know, know, it's kind of like you've been brainwashed because everybody knows even though uh, so many of these things aren't true. Um, I'm thinking, you know, vegetarians have to hear all the time, oh, you won't get enough protein. Everybody knows you won't get enough protein. Um, And, you know, we see these TV commercials of cows grazing in lush green fields and a picture-perfect family smilingly uh, making ham and cheese sandwiches. Or I'm thinking she's reminding me of the commercials that the oil companies put out you know, making it look like they're on the side of the environment when, you know, we know they're really the ones uh, with their fracking and, you know, di- you know they're, they're the big destroyers of the environment. But they brainwash people to, um, you know, uh, to, to put, you know, ideas in our heads that, uh, uh, that really might not have a lot of basis in reality. And, you know, getting back to this idea of food, um, uh, Livnam says, um, you know, people who say, uh, I'm allergic to animal products, well, you know, uh, you know that's that's easier for people to accept. You know, that would be all right. Allergy is accepted. But somehow, for some reason, uh, making free choice based on research and a human being's own free will, somehow that's not as easily accepted. Um, but, you know, so who who is really the brainwashed uh, out there? You know, maybe more people than we think. For instance, when a woman speaks out about sexual harassment at work uh, or demands that uh, a strip club be shut down or if she just generally speaks out in public, you know, sometimes men race to their computers and uh, you know, write threatening things. Um, and, you know, thanks to a several thousand-year-old, uh, you know, brainwash, brainwashing, you know, directed by religion who says that men are superior to women, well, you know, they feel entitled, uh, even though, as we all know, you know, Jesus 
who Christianity was built upon, actually displayed more female virtues of kindness, compassion, and love. And, um, you know, I think even when he was turning over the tables, uh, you know, of the money changers, it was because, you know, he was supporting, um, you know, he wasn't supporting the status quo. He was supporting the people that were being uh, exploited. So anyway, um, Lev Nam goes on to say, you know, and I'm excerpting um, what she's written me here because she, you know, wrote a, actually a lot more than this, but I'm sort of hitting the high points. She says, uh, here's what I consider to be the ultimate evidence that the majority of the population is brainwashed without even knowing it. A young woman comes forward and declares that she's decided out of her own free will not to have children. Barely two seconds later, the young lady is attacked by other women who scream and cry in a loud cacophony. What's wrong with you? You must have children. You must. It's so wrong. If you're not going to have a child, you must have a child. Well, I can relate to this because I'm childless by choice. People look at you kind of funny. <clears throat> they say you're selfish. That's the thing I heard um, most of the time. I'm selfish. That's why I don't want children. But anyway, getting back to um, uh, live nuns. Uh, paper here. She says, you know, why must all women have children? Can someone show me where in your country's laws it's written that a woman must conceive and bear children? Where is that written? Is it really so that all beings with a uterus must use it to bring forth new life? I highly doubt it. But we are so brainwashed to view women as baby baby making machines that we can't help but panic when someone from, uh, uses their own free will um, and decides to play on the other side of the fence. And in the meantime, you can just enjoy the group of children in your fenced-off area. She's funny. So who is brainwashed? The truth is that we are being brainwashed constantly by the media, by the Internet, by our families, by our schools, by our workplace, by society. You're brainwashed into believing them and in believing them and, and in believing that they know everything and will share the most important information with you. You're brainwashed into accepting that's just how it is. You're brainwashed into not wanting to seek knowledge on your own. The whole world has been brainwashed for over 2,000 years on the Bible as the foundation. We have accepted wars and genocide because our brainwashed heads have accepted society's explanation that the Bible says. Well, what if our schools had included Rianne Eisler's The Chalice and the Blade or Karen Tate's Goddess Calling in their curriculum? She says, I think a positive brainwash would have taken place, a revolution where people had sought information from a variety of sources instead of just accepting one version of the story. So I thank you, uh, Liv Nam, for reminding us about all of that because I think we, you know, we uh, sort of fall into the habit of uh, maybe believing things when we should be using more critical thinking. And I want to thank her, too, because Liv Nam has uh, uh, found herself inspired by the meditations in my Goddess Calling book. And she's actually taking uh, two of the meditations, the one, Ma'at, Feather of Truth, and the other, Mary Magdalene, Unity and Wholeness. And she has put those on YouTube. So if... Um, You'd like to find those. Um, you know, I want to thank Liv Nam for um, 
going through all of that work to uh, create those meditations for everyone's use. And you can find them on YouTube. Just look up Ma'at, Feather of Truth, or Mary Magdalene, Unity and Wholeness, and you will find them there on YouTube. Um, at some point, I'm going to also put them on my uh, <clears throat> on my website. Uh, or if you go to my Facebook page, if you scroll down, and you might have to use a little patience and scroll down a bit, uh, about a week or so ago, I posted them also on my uh on my Facebook page. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you about those uh, goddess conferences coming up, but first uh, we have a word from Joe Carson. Uh, hang on, here it comes. I'm. Yeah, I think there it is. Most people see. Humankind is really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, that was Serena Roney-Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. And this wonderful DVD comes with a very informative 45-page mini-book, and you get the two for just $20. So to find out more about uh, Joe Carson and the film Dancing with Gaia, just go to the website, dancingwithgaia.com. And um, also, with regard to the uh, conference that's coming up in Simi Valley in uh, September, um, Goddess Spirit Rising, the International Goddess Conference, is back in 2015. This year's theme is Earth Mother Wisdom, the Power of Devo- Devotion. Uh, the dates are September 10th through 13th uh, in Southern California, mountains of Simi Valley. Uh, visit GoddessSpiritRising.com for all the details. Be moved by uh, close to 40 international presenters and expand your emotional and spiritual horizons. Experience workshops, concerts, rituals, healers, vendors, and much more. And you know what? Right now you can save some money because there's a special early bird pricing through May 1st. Uh, I believe it's $50 off if you register before May 1st. And uh, the conference will gather September 10th through the 13th, and you can register online at goddessspiritrising.com, and there are flexible packages to fit your schedule and your budget. You don't have to go for the entire uh, long weekend. You can just uh, go for the day. So uh, the organizers hope you can join them uh, as they celebrate the many paths to goddess. Um, and I, for one, uh, am going to be there. I'm going to be on a panel, and I'm also going to be giving a presentation. So uh, if you're thinking of coming, I look forward to meeting you there. And um, next show, I'll tell you a little bit more about um, 
the conference that's coming up in Nashville in July. Uh, actually, uh, next week we have two shows on the air because on Tuesday you'll be able to meet the presenters that will be at the Nashville Goddess Conference in July. Uh, so that uh, Tuesday show will uh, you will be able to get you know tips and tidbits from them. Uh, on on some of the topics that they're going to be presenting. So you just as well tune in and get some free wisdom and uh, insight. And then on Wednesday of next week, uh, Janine Davis-Kimball is with us to discuss our final installment as we talk more uh, about warrior women, discussing the true roots of the Amazons and the discoveries she's made using DNA tests that show where the ancestors of the Amazons can be found living today. Yes, indeed. Um, wonderful documentary. And you know what? If you've liked what you've been hearing tonight and in past shows, I hope you'll show your appreciation and support. Uh, please go to my website, KarenTate.com. Uh, once there, uh, go to the Goddess Store page and uh, scroll all the way down to the bottom. Uh, and you can make a donation of any amount or you can buy a book. And uh, it would be greatly appreciated and helps me pay for the airtime to bring you the wonderful guests that I think you've come to know will be waiting for you here each week. Um, and yes, uh, if you didn't know, I do pay out of my pocket for the show to be on the air. The airtime isn't free. So I put this out there last week, and I'll put it out there again. Imagine if all my listeners sent in just $5 every month. How fantastic would that be? Well, that is my wish and prayer, that uh, I, and I put that out into the universe, that um, the listeners will contribute and uh, uh, help me know with confidence that the show will uh, remain on the air in the, in the months and years to come. So, you know, uh, one last coffee at Starbucks. Is the show worth it to you? I hope so. Uh, and please check out my Facebook pages. I have a new Karen Tate uh, page, but it's an author page. Uh, so check that out, and I would appreciate you visiting the page and liking it. Uh, my personal page is nearing 5,000 friends, and it soon won't be able to take any more so I'm gradually transitioning over to the Karen Tate author page. Also, uh, while you're uh, here on Blog Talk, I hope you'll hit the follow button and uh, and become one of the voices of the sacred feminine family. And by doing that, you're sure to get notices of guests coming on the show each week, so you won't miss any great talk. Well, uh, that's about it for tonight, uh, my dear listeners. Thank you, uh, as always, for tuning in. Uh, thank you for being the gas in my tank. Uh, I love getting your emails and uh, hearing how the show uh, makes a difference in your life. Um, so I think we will close the show off tonight um, with, um, let's see, what shall it be? You know what? Let's go with Celia. Uh, bringing in the light, nice upbeat note to close the show with. Have a wonderful weekend. I hope you're enjoying the great weather. And uh, be well, and remember, come from your heart. Good night. You're bringing in the light, been in the darkness for too long. You're bringing in the light, bringing in the light by the way of the song. It's the love that gives. Bring
dropping the worry, I'm dropping the shame, I'm dropping the guilt, I'm dropping the blame, I'm dropping the walls, I'm dropping the windows, dropping the doors. I'm dropping who's wrong, I'm dropping who's right, I'm dropping my put em up and fight, I'm dropping the roof, I'm dropping the porch, I'm dropping the floors. And I'm bringing in the light, in the darkness for Dropping the plot, I'm dropping the twist me up in knots. I'm dropping the past, prevailing over what's in store. I'm dropping the scarcity of enough. I'm dropping that constellated stuff. I'm dropping the points, I'm dropping the game, I'm dropping the score. And I'm bringing in the light. Been in the darkness for too long. Yeah, I'm bringing in the light. Bringing in the light by the way of the song. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.